0: to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him, And marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you'll quote to me this proverb, physician heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said to them, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. but only Naman the Syrian. When they had heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Today, we uh, find ourselves following Jesus in this epiphany season in a way where he makes an epiphany of his glory. He reveals his glory that he is God in a very different way from what he's been doing so far. You know, so far we've had he um, has become incarnate, born of the Virgin Mary. God has become man like you or I. We've had uh, him being in the temple. And this guy, Simeon, says, your son is the Messiah, and not only for us Jews, but for the Gentiles too, all those people that are not Jews out there in the world. That's miraculous. And then last week, we talked about the wedding at Cana. When Jesus announced that the Messiah is here, the messianic end times are now water, it's now wine. But here this week, we find like any normal good human being, Jesus goes to church on Sabbath. And that's pretty much the whole story. He happened to be in his hometown, Nazareth. And it was his turn to read the scriptures that day and uh, give a little message. He reads a classic from Isaiah. He's introduced to the people as a prophet and teacher. We learn that preaching proclamation is a key component to what public ministry is. And through this preaching, Jesus reveals who he is and what he's come to do. He begins a ministry of preaching and teaching, oddly enough, in his hometown of Nazareth. On the Sabbath, he enters the synagogue and has extended the opportunity to give a brief message today on the Sacred Writings. He opens the scroll to that classic, Isaiah 61, and he reads just two little verses. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives, recovering of sight to blinds, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This passage was very much so recognized as messianic prophecy. And what that means is, this is what the guy is going to be like, that's going to fix everything, that's going to save us, that's going to be the dude, which is, I propose, a modern translation of Messiah, the dude. And it's significant that this passage emphasizes that the role of the Messiah is preacher and teacher, to preach good news, to proclaim release, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What's remarkable is Jesus's comment on this passage. He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. By this radical statement, Jesus identifies himself to be the fulfillment of this scripture. And he claims to be the Messiah. For all you Greek speakers out there, the Christ. To all you English speakers out there, the anointed one, the chosen one, the dude. Thus, his preaching becomes revelation from God, epiphany, revealing. Jesus reveals himself. To be that promised deliverer of all creation and the suffering servant that Isaiah talked about. But since this uh, passage in Isaiah describes the mission of the Messiah, Jesus in effect is announcing the purpose of which He or for which He's come. That mission is one of restoration. The Messiah is anointed in his baptism and sent by the Spirit to deliver. He says, deliver these things. Good news to the poor. The restoration of well-being to those who are impoverished by the debt of sin. Release of captives. Restoration of freedom from the prison of breaking the law of God. Recovery of sight to the blind. We all have heard, open the eyes of my heart. I think that one's pretty simple. Deliverance of the oppressed or downtrodden, which is the restoration of the very dignity, the image of God, of those who have been debased by the powers of Satan. And th- the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this is what's caught my attention. The restoration of the eternal inheritance realized in the ultimate jubilee. Y'all know what a jubilee is, right? We got a Boy Scout jubilee. We got the Alabama jubilee, where the gang's all here. And we have the jubilee which is an Old Testament thing, where every 50 years, um, slaves would be freed, debts would be forgiven. It's a good time. You'd let the land lay fallow or just not plant anything that year, and all the you know, nutrients would return to the soil. It's a good time. Lots of partying. Jesus was here to proclaim. That with his coming, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The jubilee is here. His hour has come. To deliver each of those blessings, the Messiah is here. That's his purpose, his mission. But walking that path will cost a lot. The English translation might say it will cost much. Both Jesus, his disciples, and all who follow him, even today, will learn just how much it costs. And so Jesus gets his first taste of rejection. I always was confused by this one. It seems he had a winning message. And I don't know if you've seen the movie Anchorman, but there's this character that says, well, that escalated quickly. And that's kind of what this uh, happens in this gospel reading. Things escalate quickly. The people all look at him because, you know, he he stands up, does the reading, sits down as was custom. You sat down to do your sermon, but uh, I don't know, I'm standing or else I'll fall asleep. Gives his sermon. Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then, you know, the first guy, the first lady, the second guy, the second lady, they start to mumble. They say, wait, wait, wait. He's the Messiah? Joseph's kid? Are you kidding me? Didn't he take Hebrew with my son? Didn't I go to school with him? What does it mean? What does he mean? He's the Messiah here in Nazareth? You know, like imagine you're in Dwight, Illinois. What? The chosen one, the dude? He's from Dwight? Okay, cool. Jesus, however, sees right through them, and that's when the crowd starts to turn on him. He says the, the famous quote, No prophet is welcome in his hometown. He says, I think you guys just want me to do cheap tricks and make Nazareth well known. Do some miracles. Show us something cool like you did in Capernaum. They're famous now. We want people to get off the highway at Nazareth. And buy things from our stores and the like. Become our hometown hero. Kind of reminds me of when um, uh, Barack Obama, he was elected president. And I remember thinking, oh, cool. We'll get a lot of cool stuff in Chicago because he's from Chicago. Little did I know, all we got was a library in Hoffman Estates. And an honorary section of I-55 between the I-294 Tri-State Expressway and the 202 mile marker near Pontiac, the Barack Obama Presidential Expressway. So just to prove his point, Jesus refuses to do a miracle. Isn't that interesting? He says, you know what? You guys want one so bad, I'm not going to give it to you. You need to learn that it's my word alone... That will save you. My word alone you should trust in. That's enough for salvation. Uh, But that's not the Messiah that people wanted. They want a guy that does miraculous signs. That raises people from the dead. That, come on, heal someone. Cast out a demon. We swear we'll follow you. And so Jesus turns up the heat. He says, I tell you what. Back in the day, there were a lot of widows and famine in Israel. But he says, even though in the days of Elijah, God only relieved the suffering of one Gentile woman. Even though all those Israelites were suffering. And then he says, back in the day, Lots of people had leprosy, all sorts of diseases. But in Elisha's day, God only healed one Gentile. Two of your guys' favorite prophets and two of your guys' favorite times from the Torah that we do these readings here. And in both those times, God chose to help one Gentile. Not even one Jew. If you guys are really going to reject me, the Messiah, Jesus says, and his word. The Gentiles are more than willing to welcome me in faith. It's quite an interesting sermon on two verses in Isaiah. And I guess that was enough to merit a stoning. Instead of being convicted by Jesus' law and gospel message preaching, as those in the Old Testament reading uh, were, and I, I'm going I'm to cover that one in Bible study, so if you're interested in what the heck was going on with Nehemiah and Ezra, come to Bible study. Instead of being convicted by Jesus' message, Instead, they just rejected him. And then they're gonna push him off a cliff, which is depicted on the front of your bulletin. I thought that was kind of cool. Ironically, by a miracle, which he said he would not do, Jesus escapes the crowd and journeys on. He said, I'm not gonna do a miracle just to spite you. And then he escapes with a miracle. He disappears in their midst, disappears to journey on, rejected by his own people, going to a cross where he will again be rejected by a crowd and will die at the hands of his own people, suffering and earning salvation for all people, for you through faith in him. And no, I don't think anyone here is like the crowd. Absolutely not. And this is one of those hard sermons to try and, you know, bring it to Well, what's in it for me, Pastor? None of you guys are rejecting Jesus or picking up a stone to, to throw at him and kill him and push him off a cliff. None of you. Where we come in, I think, is less severe. It's a less overt rejection. But the Christian must always remember he's not only a saint, he or she is also a sinner. I just I think that if God's letting you know that you're not a living, you're not living according to his will, whether it be through his word and a sermon or the scriptures or a conversation or your conscience that has been trained over your lifetime of being a Christian. Don't just throw it off the cliff of your heart. Take a moment and consider it seriously. Don't forget that we are not completely free from our sinful nature. We're still inclined to do, think, and feel in an evil way. Sure, we haven't been given over to the inclinations of our heart, as it says in Romans 1. But the devil wants us to stay in bondage to him, to stay in his prison, to stay zip-tied up to the effects of not being able to do God's law perfectly, our sinful desires. And to to feel as though, oh man, I I did it wrong this one time, I can't tell anyone, even my closest friends, to say, Man, I messed up. No one can find out about it. And I'm not even going to sit and think about it and reflect on how I could do better, let alone say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. But it's what the Christian ought to do, yeah? What can we do then? What can we do? Are we out of luck? Absolutely not. Jesus says the spirit of the Lord is upon him because the Lord has anointed him and sent him to do specific things. Specifically, set free, release prisoners, release people from sin, release. Set at liberty in our English translation here. Same word for forgiveness in Greek. Interesting idea, huh? And Jesus says, yes, this this scripture here today is being fulfilled in your midst. And that transcends time and space to you right now, in your midst right now, in the midst of your congregation. The spirit of the Lord is upon you in your baptism. And now you are being sent to a continual life of setting free, setting free from sin. Jesus links the Old Testament and the New Testament here with this one tiny little sermon. Linking baptism to the release from sin. And that as the whole goal, the Old Testament to the future mission of the New Testament. To set people free from sin each day through baptism and remembering it. This is the ultimate fulfillment of the Jubilee year. This is it. Instead of being every 50 years and it, you know, happening in some sort of ceremonial way, you're now set free. Through your baptism into Christ's baptism, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, now your life is one of release daily of sin. Remembering that day you were baptized, released from the bondage of sin, death, and the devil. This is what Luther means when you were in confirmation. And he tells you in the catechism, practice your baptism. Jesus places baptism at the center of the Christian life. We never lose God's baptismal promises of eternal life, but we can always return to them each morning. Luther says when he washes his face, I like to say when you take a shower, because hopefully we all shower every day. But that's a unique time when you can say, I am baptized, I am saved, I am eternally Jesus'. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As it says in the large catechism, baptism is not a work that we do, but it's a treasure that God gives to us and faith grasps. He said, There's no more beautiful jewel that can anoint your head, be in your crown, than that of baptism. Therefore, every Christian has enough to study and practice all his or her life in that baptism. We must regard it to be put to use in such a way that we could draw strength and comfort from it when our sins or conscience oppress us, and even the devil. It's said that Luther would often say, enough devil, enough conscience, enough terrors of the law, I am baptized, and if I have been baptized, I have the promise that I will be saved and have eternal life now, both in soul and body, End quote." "Your baptism remains forever. Even though you fall from it and you sin each moment boy, I know I do you always have access to that baptism. Remembering that you are baptized and you subdue your old self once again for the day. You remember where you were brought to eternal life when you enter this church. You put your fingers in the water, maybe you're in the shower. And you remember, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I'm baptized. You have no power over me, Lord, or uh, devil, sin, death. I'm Jesus's. Amen.